Hi, I'm Dubba, I'm the director of Music Tech Fest, and this is the MTF Podcast. We were at Expo North in Inverness last week. That's Scotland's leading creative industries conference, featuring everything from traditional craft skills through to the latest 3D multimedia, crowdfunded, immersive, artificially intelligent, augmented blockchain social content. Filmmakers, musicians, video game producers, media creators, innovators, animators, deal makers, and more from all over the world. It's a pretty good place to be if that's your sort of thing. And if you're listening to this, it probably is. MTF's founder, Michaela Magus, was there to deliver a keynote about the industry commons, which puts the creative industries right at the centre of innovation across all industry sectors. And I was there to chat to a few people on stage and behind the scenes. In that sort of environment, there's no shortage of people I was very keen to take aside for a chat for the MTF podcast. And on that note, I'd like you to meet Dan Butler, Dan's the lawyer that negotiates the deals and puts together the contracts that puts the really big music in the really big films. He's Senior Vice President, Business Affairs and Legal for Music at Paramount Pictures, which is a pretty big deal. And if you're picturing the kind of enormous cigar-chomping schemer you might see in the movies who'd sell his own grandparents and rip off the poor musicians with an impenetrable contract, well, think again. Big Shot Lawyer, Hollywood Studios, Major Label Artists, Million dollar deals, genuinely nice guy. Who'd have thought? From Expo North in Inverness last week, here's Dan Butler. Tell me how you describe what you do, because there's a uh, very impressive title. What's the job? Uh, well, I used to be a real lawyer, and now I'm a musical rug salesman, basically. Um, I am the head of business affairs and legal for Paramount Pictures Music, and I arrange to make deals and uh, prepare contracts for all the music that goes into the movies. So there's composer deals, uh, record company soundtrack album deals, music publishing deals, um, recording artists, songwriters. Um, We hire new bands to cover old songs. We hire bands to write new songs for specifically for our films Mm -hmm. uh, and television shows. We have recently um, expanded our television division and have a bunch of programs on a lot of the streaming video on demand platforms like Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and right. Apple TV, we, through also through traditional broadcast media. And we do a lot of music center films. Lately, we just finished the Elton John Rocketman mm-hmm. biopic, which was a great project to work on, and, and there will be cleanup. I bet. For weeks to come. Yet <laughs> I bet. That, but uh, that feels like part of a trend. There's a, there's a thing going on at the moment, which isn't, I mean, I know Rocketman's not strictly a biopic, it's a musical, but uh, um, but there seems to be a real interest in putting together music-based films at the moment. Is that just a, a coincidence at the moment? There's a few, or is this a new thing? Well, it's, you know, the Queen Bohemian Rhapsody obviously made so much money that everybody else wants to get him and yesterday but but all of these things are sort of happening simultaneously it's not like one happened and they went oh that's a good idea let's do another one well and and i think the star is born you know la la land really helped rekindle interest in musicals and the Mm -hmm. greatest showman did really well so um you know people see what's working and what people are going to see and and try to catch that wave and, and get on it and there's so many great musical stories we're working on the bob marley biopic which i would be really excited to see that yeah, come me too. to fruition. Um, <laughs> For I sure. was at another studio 20 some odd years ago and we were trying to make that movie then and 
it didn't happen, but this time we're a little further along, and I'm hoping that that comes together because that would be I, I, Bob Marley was a big part of my college years, and uh, sure. And I would with everything that goes along with that, or is that oh, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, fantastic. Um, I think I listened to Babylon by Bus, um, all four sides on vinyl, pretty much every day for the year I turned eighteen. So that was a big influence. Oh, I'm looking forward to to seeing that then. Uh, So I guess that's that's sort of the role as as you're working on projects that are, you know, a year, eighteen months, two years ahead, um, and putting the deals together. Um, So. Are you sort of under some sort of uh, NDA? You're not allowed to talk about the projects that are coming up, or this is part, you know, or, or is that no, not really considered? If, if things, you know, there, there's a lot of things that are public knowledge when they when they hit the trades and they've been announced. It's okay to talk about, and sometimes they don't happen. You know, things fizzle, and um, you know, the big actor could be lured away to another project, and mm-hmm. things get postponed sometimes, and you know, directors fall out, or you know, it's it's a very difficult process to get a movie made. And negotiating all of the music, that's, uh, I mean, like, uh, yesterday is a really good example. That's the Beatles catalogue. Right. That's not going to be an easy negotiation, surely. Right. Well, and obviously, you know, Olivia Harrison and Paul McCartney and Yoko and Ringo Starr all wanted that movie to happen. You right. Know? So they were behind it. And Working Title Films, you know, has a relationship with um, the Harrison Estate. And so th- that was, and it was such a labor of love for, you know, there was such a, a wonderful spirit of, the importance of the Beatles to, to pop culture and everything else that um, the premise of the movie was such an easy sell. I think it was it was sure. a really great. I, I enjoyed that film a lot. I thought that was fun. Right, and Rocket Man, which you're involved with, obviously driven largely by Elton John himself. Of course, and he produced the movie, and and it was a an interesting thing because he really wanted it to be a warts and all portrayal and not to be you know the sanitized version of his life, and he wanted the message to be you know that you have to. You know, take care of yourself, and and uh, but it really did capture the the Troubadour show, especially is just a wonderful scene that it takes it beyond you know some kind of behind the music look at the band and and shows kind of the magic of what happens at a show when you're at seeing a new artist that really lifts you off you know lifts you off your feet and makes you feel something that wonderful. It's it's an amazing. Live music is one of the most amazing things we get to do in our lives, and it, that film really captured that feeling for everybody who was there, you know, and him as well. So, I imagine the the document that accompanies that, from a legal perspective, is like Encyclopedia Britannica. Is a big sort of term. Is, is it that complex? Are there that many things that go that into one it? was actually easier than you would think because mostly it was Universal Music Publishing, which controls Elton's publishing, and you know we made a blanket deal with them um, for you know, the Elton songs that were in the film. And and everybody, of course, has the biggest incentive to make the film a success because, you know, it obviously is going to push his catalog. And, and kind of when you look at what Queen's catalog has done since the Bohemian Rhapsody film, it's really brought Queen back into people's minds and, and exposed Queen to a younger generation that didn't really know who they were. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm old enough to have seen Queen live in their prime. Yeah, um, yeah join the club. Yeah, I saw him in 1977. Uh, doing the, the We Will Rock You News of the World tour. and just It was just an amazing show. Wow. So what, what's the fun part for you? Is it, I mean, do you get to rub shoulders with these uh, amazing artists or is it the deal-making? I mean, I generally don't um, meet the artists. Um, I talk to their lawyers a lot or I talk to their managers a lot. And, and I do get to see um, shows periodically. But I, I've, I've been to 
I, I was just a huge music fan before I ever got in the music business. And a lot of it for me is just getting to work with the heroes of my youth, mm-hmm. you know, and I was a gigantic Elton John fan from the time I was a teenager and, and, you know, bought Captain Fantastic the day it came out in the record store. Right. Um, so, you know, getting to actually um, work on these projects is... A, and, and play a significant role in the, in the f- you know, fulfillment of that vision, yeah, I guess. Fun. And, and when you work on movies, it's, you know, we have... Paramount has 2,500 employees, I think. And then on a production, there'll be another huge number of people that work that are not full-time Paramount people, but just hired for the production. And, you know, you're a, you're a cog in the giant wheel that makes this happen, but there's a lovely feeling of satisfaction that comes with knowing that, you know, when you see a really beautiful film and you go, I worked on that, that just, that gives you... Do you, you get know, to see your name go past in the credits? Um, I've had my name in the credits on a few things over the years, animation, um, but, you know, if you're a Paramount employee, you don't get your name in the credits. Right. Um, but... To, to see a film you work on, I worked on The Matrix when I was at Warner Brothers years ago, and mm-hmm. and it was a crazy last-minute process where the studio didn't really understand how great the movie was till they saw it, and then they scrambled to do a soundtrack album at the last minute. And, you know, I think and we, that soundtrack album was really influential. It, oh, t- it took music in a different direction as well. It was a big record, and, it, and we cleared everything for that record in 10 days. Wow. That was just absolutely an insane time. And to see that movie on the screen for the first time, really not knowing what it was going to be and, and just be completely blown away like that. That's, that's, that's the real payoff right. for all the hard work is when you see something that's really good. Well, I used to teach music business at uh, university and I'd always say to the students, if you want to make money in the music business, we teach law just down the corridor there. <laughs> is, is that a fair characterization? Um, maybe. There's, 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 lots of, there's lots of different aspects of the business that you know, work and people can make a living. Um, and again, a lot of the people that I work with are, you know, former opera singers or band members or, and they found a way to be happy and fulfilled in their lives by doing the business end of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a whole nother bunch of kids that are coming out of school now that they're Berkeley College of Music and a lot of places in California and, and um, Nashville, Belmont, they're, they're, they're pumping out music business graduates. So there's, yeah. there's a lot of people who are trying to start their career in the business end of things and it's not easy, but um, it is very fun and fulfilling. And you know, to be able to, for me, to be able to work in a in a job that combines music and movies, which are two of my favorite life passions, it's been really lucky. I've yeah. been really fortunate. Absolutely, but you studied pretty hard to get there, I imagine. I did. Law school was misery. <laughs> Those three years of absolute misery. Was it was it a case of specialization, or was it just kind of I became a lawyer? I, I, I you know. Well, I became a real lawyer, and then um, just. Um, I had done different kinds of, did some entertainment litigation and did some other kinds of practice. And then one of the partners that was at my law firm left to start a new music department at MGM Studios. And and I was one of the people that she took from the law firm with her to go. And it wasn't because I knew anything about music at that point. It's just that she thought I was a nice person and she wanted to work with me. So yeah, That seems to be a recurring theme in all these conversations that we're having. Everybody says, as a recommendation, to get anywhere, be nice. The people who are not nice who are the powerful, crazy agents and deal makers and screamers. Um, there are plenty of those people that get rich and successful and are, you know, not the nicest human beings. But um, I think most people that succeed in business do it because people want to work with them and they don't, they don't yell at people and they treat people with respect. And that's the most important thing 
Does uh, the changing technologies and innovation and new platforms and all that, does that make your job more interesting, harder? Uh, does it make the, the, the laws that you work with not fit for purpose? Definitely, definitely more interesting um, and harder because, and, and it's, you know, there's so many different laws happening in places like Germany or Spain or even Canada um, that, you know, Canadians are so nice, but their, their copyright laws can be challenging sometimes. It's just, you, there's new... They're pushing the envelope in many ways all over the world, and you have to keep up. And people will call me and say, you know, um, we have this Swedish copyright law question. You know, can you help us? And I'm telling him what I know about Swedish copyright law is, <laughs> is uh, not much. Um, but I know somebody who I can call, you know, and, and it's about having a network of, of people that you can rely on to, to get information and share, you know, new upcoming things. But there, technology is moving so quickly, and it's... It's hard, and I'm, you know, I'm, I am not a young kid who's got easy access to a lot of the social media things. I'm, I'm a bit of a luddite on on social media, but um, I have to keep up with my job just to know what's happening. And and all the new platforms have just exploded, and and there are things that you know didn't exist two years ago that are now multi billion dollar businesses that people at the studio want to be have their music featured on those platforms and it's a big challenge to keep up but that's what we do and I can say honestly I've been doing this 25 years I have never had a boring day at the office well that's quite a thing I've for a lawyer to be able to say I've had stressful crazy days but I've never had a boring day in 25 years right going back before that and I know obviously you were a music fan and uh, you were a film fan where does that come from what, what did your parents do for instance and how's that affect um, you are? My mom was a nurse, and my dad uh, was a scholar and a professional student and librarian. Um, and uh, they weren't really into music much at all. Um, we had a very few records growing up. Uh, uh -huh. I think Harry Belafonte, uh, Deo was like the big yeah, yeah, yeah. one of the big records. But I think that's where my love of Bob Marley came from. Where was, was this? Uh, I was born in California, but grew up all over the United States. We moved around a lot. Uh -huh. um, but, you know, you really see musical influences come from a few big things when you're, when you're young. And then, you know, when you're teenagers, when you really, when the hormones kick in, that's when, you know, that's when I discovered Santana and The Who and um, rock and roll really just blew my mind when the hormones went off. You uh -huh. know? So that was... You always kind of love the music of your youth the most. Yeah, the, the best music in the world is whatever you were listening to when you were 15. Yeah, yeah. and, and I, for me, into my college years too, and I was lucky to live in Austin, Texas, yeah. where every band played, came and played through. And my first job out of college, I worked days and had nights free and you know, saw U2's fifth show in the United States and saw them the first three tours. And every band played there, the Talking Heads and the Clash and... That whole new wave movement, um, Elvis Costello and Joe Jackson, and I, I totally embraced that and love that music and, and still do. I still, my, some of my favorite stuff. We were posters on the wall, kid? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and collecting records, presumably. And, oh, yeah. And I still have all my vinyl. Really? I have every piece of vinyl. I, from the first, I think the first record I bought was a Beatles 45 right before they broke up. And I remember thinking, I just got into this band and they broke up. How inconvenient. So uh, what's, the, what's the thing that keeps you going back to work every day? That's a, I mean, obviously, it's, you said there's, there's, no, uh, there's no boring day, um, but what makes you go home satisfied? Um, it's just 
I, I love what I do. I'm really lucky. I love what I do. And, and it's, I work with nice people and that's a big, that's a big thing. And I've had people that complain about their job sometimes. I said, no, I've had a really crummy job. I, I roofed houses uh-huh. in the hottest summer in Texas history. <laughs> um, and I was roofing houses, you know, it was like, that was a bad job, uh-huh. but even that job was not a terrible job because I worked with nice people, you know, and, and whatever your gig is, if you enjoy the people you work with, then it makes things, you know, bearable. And I also, I know there's a lot of the Netflix team, you know, mantras, we're a team, not a family. And your, your family loves you no matter what. And if you're not the best person on the team, you can't work for Netflix. There's that kind of vibe. Um, but I always tell people, you know, where I work, we are a family. And we spend more time with the people we work with than our real families at home. You know, I, I spent more time with people in my office than with my kids over the years. And, you know, that's just the reality of, of, of working Is life. Is that the demands of this kind of industry? Well, it's, just, it's almost any job. If you're, if you're, you know, at work eight hours a day, and I work longer, more hours than that. But if, if you're eight hours a day, that's more than you're, you know, if you're not sleeping Whatever, you're spending less time with your family than the people you work with. So you better like those people and you better find people that challenge you and do a good job and make you, you know, support you in your work and you can support them in theirs. And, and just, you know, your, your work is your family too. So There must be some sort of confrontational aspect to what you do as well. I mean, deal making is not just, hey, everybody get in a room, everybody's right. friends, shake hands and sign. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, there's... <laughs> I, I imagine there's, there's a there little bit more... There are big challenges. Yeah. And, and the main thing is... You know, there are, there are some really difficult people in the industry, and I think what goes around comes around sometimes. And if you're consistently a good person and treat people with respect, and, and the, to me the essence of business is do what you say you're going to do. Mm-hmm. So if you do what you say you're going to do and people can count on your, you know, trusting your word when you say you're going to do something, um, that goes a long way to smoothing over problems you have later on. But, you know, advocates really good managers and really good lawyers will fight hard for their clients and, and sometimes they make you crazy because it's you don't think they're being reasonable. But at the end of the day, I think I was trained by a pretty good boss at Warner Brothers and his goal was how do we get to the finish line of the deal you know, faster and what's reasonable? And the, the first question he does always ask, they want this. Well, is that reasonable? If it's reasonable, give it to them. Let's get to the finish line. And that's, that's a big part of deal making, I think. Is, is, I mean, the myth of deal-making is it's best when it's win-win. And is that really realistic, or are you trying to sort of get one over on the other side? No, no, no. I started out as a litigator, and, and it was at a very good law firm, and, and we won almost all the time. And there was a big competitive sense of satisfaction, and I'm a competitive person, so I, I right. did like that, you know, and yeah. I loved going into court and standing up and, you know. Yeah. It was very... Um, and emerging triumphant. It was, it was fun. That yeah. was fun to win. But in deal-making and transactional side, it's, it's at the end of the day, you're trying to work together to make a great song for a great movie, and you want everybody to be happy. And you never want to agree to the first thing they ask for, because if you just say, okay, then they're going to think, oh, I should have asked for more, and uh-huh. they're going to be dissatisfied. Um, but... You, you don't want to say no, just to say no either. It's, it's, and some, some people you do business with, if you have a relationship and you've done a lot of deals before, there's a shorthand and you say, look, I could tell you I want to pay this and you want to charge that, but we know, you know, 
that's more than you're going to get, and that's less than I'm going to have to pay. So we're going to meet in the middle, and right. and that's that's how we're going to get it done. And and when you have a a long term relationship with somebody, even if they're a difficult, smart lawyer, you can say, okay, here's where we we have to get to. And and literally, if if I tell somebody, this is this is our bottom line, this is our best and final. Yeah. You know, I don't have anywhere to go from here. So if you can't do it for this. We understand. We'll find somebody else, you know. And and if you you can't say that unless you mean it, and you can't say it unless they know you enough to trust that you're telling them the truth. So yeah, but when you're doing a Bob Marley film, there's certain you, there you, there are no other catalogs that you can go to right. uh, to do a deal. So you're either doing the deal or there's no deal, right? Right. What have you What have been your sort of really big wins that you've you've gone? I can't believe I got away with that. Um. Well, anytime you pull off a big music. A musical type film that's that's a trick um and the hardest part i think is because we've worked really hard on some things over the years and for one reason or another if the film doesn't work it's really disappointing yeah. because you know we I, I worked on a film years ago um at warner brothers called rockstar with mark Wahlberg. okay and it was a really fun movie and we we created this all-star band and we had live concerts, and it was an amazing project. And unfortunately, we came out the weekend after 9-11, and it, nobody went to the movies. Yeah. And, and that poor film just died a quick death at the box office. But, you know, it's had a life. People have enjoyed that film on cable and whatever venues sure. since then. But that was, that was, I mean, yards and yards of contracts and paper to make that happen. And at the end of the day the studio lost money and you know nobody was nobody was happy about it but is uh, there are a lot of big deals being done with music that has been created for films or is it is it specifically the area you're working in actually working with existing catalog and and uh, putting that into movies it's both i mean you know we we always like to have new music created for a film because then it creates catalog value i mean it's it's astounding the money we still make off of Footloose, the original uh-huh. Footloose from 1984. Yeah. And um, I license out all the Paramount music, you know, where we've created new songs for our past films. And, you know, it's Footloose and Flashdance and Top Gun and, um, you know, Blondie's Call Me from American Gigolo. It's like people use that song in commercials and TV shows all the time. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my job is licensing out, um, you know, holding out for a hero from Footloose is a, Huge copyright. It's, and that was so, written specifically for the film. It was written specifically for the movie. Um, and we try to do that to create, you know, lasting value um, that's not just for the artist but for the studio as well. And getting to take your family to go and see these films at the end of it and go, I put that there. Yeah. Is that, uh, that part well, of the I challenge? know when um, I worked on the Harry Potter movies and the first time I saw a Harry Potter movie, I was like, oh, my God, that is so good. Yeah. You know, and my kids were absolutely delighted that, you know, they finally understood what Dad did. You know, it's like. Wonderful. It's Congratulations. Thanks, Dan. That's Dan Butler, Head of Business Affairs and Legal for Paramount Pictures Music. And that's the MTF Podcast. Now, I spoke to a whole bunch of fascinating people at Expo North, and some of those conversations and a whole lot more will be coming up in future episodes of the MTF Podcast. So this might be a good time to subscribe. And if you're not sure how to do that, Google, how do I subscribe to the MTF Podcast? Seriously, that will tell you. Hope things are great where you are right now, and we'll catch you soon. Cheers. Thank you.